Let's go, girls. From New York City to Los Angeles, Powered Up with Beck and Franklin is giving women of all ages permission to live the life they've always dreamed of. Why live in black and white when you can choose the brilliance of 3D and Technicolor? Each week, Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin and their high-powered guests will be here to cheer you on, to share their challenges, their successes, and what they've learned along the way. It's all about women supporting women. The stories and practical tips on sex, beauty, money, and so much more are designed to help you reconnect to the powerful woman you are. Fabulous knows no limits. Now it's time for you to expand your boundaries. Here are Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin. Hey, ladies, this is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Linda Franklin. And, Linda, we've got a great show today. We're going to welcome Dr. Jeffrey Brantley, and he's written some pretty cool books about mindful-based stress reduction, which is is really good for me. He's written things like Calming Your Anxious, um, anxious Mind, Daily Meditations for Calming Your Anxious Mind. And the one that I liked was the, the author of The Five Good Minutes. He does five good minutes in the evening, five good minutes at work, five good minutes with the one you love, five good minutes with your body. And you know what? Calming Your Angry Mind is the latest one that came out. And I, I really dug reading these books because I'm anxious and angry, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> One would never know that, Sandra. <laughs> well, with all those five that. minutes, it probably takes a day to do them. <laughs> you know, you, what was really neat about him, that's really funny. Yeah, it's true. I mean, you know, I was reading his books and I'm like going, you know, I have implemented, you know, some of these things. And um, I implemented this week some of the stuff that the energy healer from last week had me do. And I got to tell you, it made a big difference. Good. Excellent. Yeah, you know, I used to be really stressed out about, you know, billing and asking, you know, to get paid and and not with the people that I really care about, but the clients that really, really make things difficult for me. And I told her that I had like this, this like uneasy stomach and I just know it's going to be a fight to get paid or I know that they're going to complain about their bill and, you know, I'm going to have to justify, you know, my bill, which, you know, I bill really fairly and honestly. So I don't know why, you know, a couple of these clients were happening and she had me envision, um, to talk about these things and then think of my boys' faces, you know, Max's happy face and Zach's silly face. And I tell you, she rewired something in my brain. I don't know how she did it, but I billed everybody this week. I didn't bitch and moan. I didn't get all, you know, crabby because it's billing day. And even the kids were like, Mom, did you do your billing? And I said, yeah. And they're like, wow, you're such a good mood because usually I come to the dinner table. Excellent. crabby. So this show is therapy for you. It's it's pretty much my free online therapy, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Well, today yeah. it was really interesting, and I was thinking of something as I was doing it. I had to take Lucy over to the pet hotel, and we have oh. a very fancy schmancy pet hotel. It's daycare and a pet hotel here in New York City, and um, I was thinking of taking her over there. Uh, to spend the night for Passover because I'm having a Passover Seder at the house and I think she'd be, uh, I think I want her to be here, but I think it would be easier with her not here. Mm. So uh, we were tossing back and forth whether or not we should put Lucy in the pet hotel overnight. But in order for Lucy to even be considered as a guest 
at the pet hotel. <laughs> she had to go today for a temperance test, a temperament oh. test, because they don't allow doggies even into do- daycare without having a temperament test. So we went, and um, a temperament test is they put the doggies in, the, the new dog in with the other dogs that are there for doggy daycare to see what happens. And they're much, and but they put them in with dogs of their own size. So it was in, she passed the test, but it was interesting because she this was I don't think she'd ever saw so many dogs in one place in her life. So it was probably fifteen doggies in this. In this Were you uh, nervous? No, I wasn't nervous. I knew she'd be okay. The, she'd probably try to hide, and and <laughs> she did. And then one of the the people that take care of it, they, she was sitting on a chair and she held, they held Lucy in her la- the lap and then she would put her down and pick her up. So it was fine. But anyways, it looks like, I mean, it, I think I have more anxiety about Lucy going to a pet hotel than, than Lucy will ever have. <laughs> Probably. Yeah, but um, I, you know, I've got to get her used to it. I think I will take her over there for doggy daycare because it takes, I think, five or six times for them to get used to going there. And some dogs today, I saw the the owners don't even take the dog walkers are taking the dog to doggy daycare, and then the dog walkers, this is New York for you, are bring are are picking them up and taking them home. So uh, the dog walkers were there to pick up their dogs after after doggy daycare today, which they're there for about six hours. The doggies didn't even want to leave. They were like sitting down. Don't take me. I want to stay here. I want to stay here. So that was a very good sign. Oh, that's funny. But, you know, I would be really nervous. But I think that's such a good idea because, you know, your dog, and I can say this because I've spent, you know, the weekend with her. She is lovely. You know, a great personality, totally fun, wouldn't hurt a pee, you know. But then you look at other people's dogs, and I think of some of my friends who have dogs. It's like, I don't want my dog in daycare with your mungy, old, you know, mangy, rat-infested you know, evil flea bag dog hurting my precious little pee. No. That's just how I. <laughs> I did not see any of the dogs you described just now there. They were all cute little frisky, happy little little dogs. And why not? They're yeah, I should be so lucky. You know, they go there, they play, they they're they're fed, they I mean they're they're happy as pigs in, in mud, you know? And I was thinking you know, so these little puppies have to pass a temperament test to get in. I said, wouldn't it be interesting um, if if people had to pass a temperament test before they got into certain places? Well, I think like it would be a better dating. world. Wouldn't that be great for online dating? You know, it's like the guy goes in. It's like if you can't play well with others, if you have to pump them up before you can play with them, you know, because his ego's deflated. All these good things. I think it's great for online dating. Yeah, I do too. So I think everybody needs to take a temperament test, you know, maybe every every six months just to make sure you're still with it. You're still in the game. That's right. Because, you know, if you had put me in the game, you know, you know, a month after my divorce, I was a train wreck. I had no business being, you know, involved with anybody else. And thank God I, you know, had the sense God gave a goose and I wasn't. But, you know, there's so many people that enter into the dating field, you know, before they've, you know, grieved the loss of their wife or grieved the loss of their marriage. And, you know, on their train wrecks, just waiting for me to buy a ticket and get on board. So I think, you know, that would be great. I wouldn't mind if somebody rejected me and said, you know what, you're 
you're really not emotionally stable enough to date, I'd be like, huh, you're probably right. Nope, you did not pass the test. You have to go back and try again. You know, you, right. can, you can take the test up to three times. If you fail three times, you're O-U-T forever. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Exactly. But you know what? I would pay for a site that did that kind of screening. Well, maybe we ought to start one. <laughs> I know. Call eHarmony right away. Go, come on. You need to hire me and Linda. We'll, we'll weed out all the weirdos, the oh, losers. Oh, wow. Uh, yes. No, but I think it's probably, I mean, I'm not in the dating scene, as you well know, but I would think that anybody that goes goes uh, back to it, uh, as you know, as you suggest too soon, um, if they're talking about their former exes, their, their ex, ex-wife, ex-husband, um, and either they're very angry or very sad, I think you have to run for the hills. Yeah, right, right. Just run, run. You know, oh, I can make a whole list of things to run for. It's like the one guy that started singing to me the children's songs that, you know, from his kids' TV shows. He had like a couple toddlers, and he's like, don't you just love the Thomas the Train songs? He's like, you know, it's great to be an engine. And I'm, I know. Am I here with an idiot? And this guy was a lawyer. He passed the bar, and he's singing Thomas the Train songs. It was insane. <laughs> That's too funny. You did run, right? Oh, I ran. I ran for two reasons. One, I didn't want to get in a marriage there or a relationship with a guy sue me with no legal fees. That was number one, yeah. you know. But number two was, you know, you gotta, you just gotta get over it, man. Yeah. So we'll have to talk to the good doctor today about about uh, temperament tests. But I, I, I um, you know, I, I fully am. Uh, I believe, and I, I, what what he is talking about, you know, the mind body connection and quieting the mind, and you know, it's been proven scientifically now, you know, how meditation really does quiet the mind, puts you in a very good frame of mind. It wakes you up. It, it gives you. It, you feel more restful after doing a meditation than you do a nap. You know, that's such a weird thing, but it's true. You know, I've really tried some of this stuff, you know, like his, his books, you know, I actually, you know, I highlighted the five minute things I was going to try. I actually did them. You know, I'm really getting like to dig all this free online therapy, um, you know, the radio therapy, but it's, it's amazing what you can do to kind of trick your mind or soothe your mind. You know, we spend all this time thinking about like, how do we get smoother skin or bigger boobs or, you know, how do I look younger and you know one of the things that we we really you know talk about a lot is is your mind and how you can you know as people get older I can tell you this Linda like when I go out on these dates and somebody's over 50 I can always peg them because they talk about you know oh my god my bank my credit card my bad back my bad knee my bad foot uh, you know all this stuff that you could really clear away a lot with meditation and, and you wouldn't focus on those things and that's what young people do you know when I talked to, I went out with a 28-year-old guy this Friday night, and he was so much fun, Linda, because we just laughed. We talked about movies. We we talked about things. He didn't tell me about his bad back, his portfolio that's, you know, drained from the economy. You know, we can we can do these things, I think, mentally clean out our heads. Oh, absolutely. You know, and I don't know how much age has to do with it. I mean, I think it depends on the person. I, I've, I've known uh, people in their 40s that act like they're 80, and I've, you know, I've, I know people in their 80s that act like they're 40. So, you know, it depends on your outlook on life. But I do believe in this consciously training your mind to do the things that uh, benefit you. So I'm anxious to hear what, uh, what Doc has to say. 
Me too, me too. And you've taught me that. You know, you taught me to look, you know, I used to look at people, you know, like an online dating profile, look at their age, look at their career, I'd make all these value judgments. But it's really the mind, you know, the mind is the most attractive part of a person. Um, you know, and I'm finding this out more and more. But we're going to uh, go for break now, Linda. My name is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Linda Franklin. And we are Powered Up Talk Radio. And from coast to coast, we have you covered from New York to L.A., on anything from money, sex, beauty, love to new hair products. And today we're going to talk about tweaking your mind with Dr. Jeffrey Brantley. So you're not going to want to miss it. You want to come back after the break and learn some of these great tips he has. They only take five minutes. That's what he's hang his hat on over the years. Five minutes to change your life. Five minutes. And they work. Both Linda and I can attest to that. So come back after the break. We've got lots more Powered Up with Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin after these messages. Finally, a show that supports women who are in the midst of a transition in midlife. The show is Second Wind. Here's what certified coach, author, and host of Second Wind, Joyce Buford, wants you to know. It's so empowering for women to hear about other women and their accomplishments. We all need cheerleaders, someone who's on our side. Second Wind is that program to help women connect with other women, hear other women's stories. In a stressful world. Find power in those stories. Learn to discover your passions and joys again. Create the life you want to live to the fullest. Join us for Second Wind with Joyce Buford, Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Central, right here on the TogiNet Radio Network. Familia, faith, identity, tradición. Latina life is never boring, but it can be muy dramática. So how do you coexist between the old school ways of la abuela and the new school life you're creating for yourself without losing your faith, familia, identity, or tradiciones? Welcome to Living Latina with Francesca Escoto, where culture curls and curves collide in one spicy cross-cultural conversation that will leave you begging for mas. Francesca tackles all the important issues, from politics to family values, to religion to, you guessed it, relationships and men. As Chief Everything Officer at the WOW Factor, Francesca is passionate about showing women of all cultures, ages, and lifestyles how to rock what they've got with style, sass, and smarts. Be sure to join her every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time for Living Latina, only on the WooHoo Radio Network. Powered up with Beck and Franklin. 
ladies, this is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Linda Franklin, and we are visiting today with a really neat guy. Um, I really like his books. It's a wonder that I've lived this long without them, and I got to tell you, I have been doing uh, his five good minutes. Um, I've done a bunch of them, and I'm reading uh, some excerpts from the five good minutes on your body. And he's got a new book coming out calling calming your angry mind, which I really like because I have two kids. Uh, one's a preteen who's kind of got the hormonal angry mind on a good day. But also, uh, for those of you that don't know me, uh, I've gone through a very nasty divorce and my kids are mad and I'm mad. So calming your angry mind is just right up my alley. So, uh, Dr. Jeffrey Brandon, welcome to the show today. Thank you you for writing these books. Oh, hi, Sandra. Thank you. And thank you for the, the kind words. It's a pleasure, really, to be on your show. Thank you. Thank you so much. So our audience may or may not know about you. So can you give us a quick rundown about your professional background? Um, I'm a big fan of Duke, so i got to tell you, I'm very excited. I know you didn't play basketball there, but still. Uh, <laughs> can you give our audience <laughs> a little bit about uh, you and who you are? Sure. I, uh, I'm a North Carolina native. I went to Davidson College and UNC Chapel Hill for medical school, oh, and uh, and so that been interesting. As over the years, I worked at Duke, <laughs> and uh, I went to uh, University of California Irvine and did a medical center, did a psychiatry residency back in the late '70s and early '80s. Um, that was where I had my first mindfulness instruction, actually, from a man named Roger Walsh. And uh, then I got married, moved back east here to North Carolina. I worked in community mental health as a, a psychiatrist and as an administrator for a number of years. Um, in the early 1990s, some friends of mine at Duke uh, and I, we were interested in what was at the time complementary and alternative medicine, but over the years has become um, known as integrative medicine, which is really just good medicine. It's uh, the willingness of a practitioner to look at any healing paradigm and see what they can do to help people who come to them needing help. Now, in 1998, we got a grant from the Duke Endowment, a small grant, to start the Duke Integrative Medicine Program. And um, so I'm one of the founding faculty there. And, and our, our, one of our central value, in a way, uh, and, and really with many integrative medicine programs, is that the individual is the single most important uh, element in the, their healing and well-being. The choices a person makes, their sense of awareness of themselves and others uh, are crucial. And because of that sense of the individual being key and the awareness being key, we put mindfulness-based stress reduction as our first program, and we put mindfulness at the heart of our paradigm at Duke Integrative Medicine. And over the last 15 years, I, I was the director of the mindfulness-based stress reduction program, and we did a number of different things with mindfulness practices. Uh, our integrative health coaching program has become nationally known and has a core element of mindfulness in it as well. And, of course, we provide primary care and primary medical care with an integrative uh, perspective. Um, about last summer, after 15 years, I retired as a Duke employee, but I still consult at Duke. I'm a member of the Department of Psychiatry. In fact, I did a, help do a, a rounds the other day for a resident. And, uh, you know, my work really over the years, I was invited and I wrote these books, and it turns out some people, a lot of people like them, actually, and I thank you for pointing to the five good minutes. Um, and and you know, the way I've looked at my work is it's translational. 
I try to take uh, what I've learned from a number of meditation teachers, my own practice of 30 years or more, and and uh, link it to the understanding and what we know about science and health and well-being, and uh, and translate those contemplative practices into settings and situations that anybody, uh, regardless of their sort of faith tradition or, or views about faith and religion, but anybody who's interested in their health and well-being might be able to begin to use this natural human capacity for awareness and compassion and wisdom and uh, improve their health and well-being. So uh, so that's kind of a quick rundown. Hi, Doctor. Uh, this is Linda Franklin. Welcome to the show. You know, I live in New York City, and um, I wish that I could find doctors like that, that, t- that look at the patient as a patient and not as a number. Uh, so many of them now, they just look at you... Um, you know, as that number, they do their rudimentary tests, and then if you fall into the guidelines of, of they say you're okay, where you really need more than that, and and they they're not looking at the whole picture; they're looking at one little piece. And I, you know, I get so frustrated uh, a lot of the times that sometimes you don't even want to go to the doctors because you lose trust in them. Yeah, well, you know, Linda, I certainly resonate with your perspective. I, I have to see doctors myself. Uh, I have some blood pressure. It runs in my family. And uh, I told my doctor that uh, imagine how m- much medicine you'd have to give me if I didn't meditate all the time. <laughs> okay, yeah. and, and I have type 2 diabetes, and that high sugar runs in my family too, you know, but it's in good control. Um, and I've also done a lot of work the last few years uh, with physicians and burnout and resiliency and and I can tell you that for many reasons, you know, many physicians, at least the ones I've met here in this area, um, you know, they feel the stress on the other side of it, you know, the short visits and the reimbursement problems yeah. and, the, and all that stuff. Now, what I've learned, though, is that whether they call themselves integrative or not, there are good physicians out there who are very much interested in the whole person, and they see more than pathology in their patients. And uh, I know around New York City, there's some really a lot of interest in integrative medicine. Just I don't know today who, to, but in the last few years, we, we heard we had people visit us from New York City at Duke, and they were doing all kinds of practices related to integrative views. So if you look for integrative physicians around New York or integrative healers, you you should be able to find some people that have those values. Um, there are also a growing number of uh, what's called concierge services where yes. people pay a, a fee. Some of the fees are extremely high and others are very reasonable. And in those concierge practices, the business model, as I understand it, and we actually started one at Duke uh, with our director now, Adam Perlman. Uh, but as I understand it, there's a kind of a steady revenue stream from the so-called members and, um, and that enables the, uh, there to be a more of a more time spent you know, unless uh, dependence on all the rules about insurance. And uh, and the patients and the doctors both enjoy those things. Yeah. So I would say if you if you looked for integrative or looked for a practice that had an affordable concierge uh, approach, you know, um, you could probably move in the direction that you're seeking. Well, thank you. I will definitely uh, look into that. 
Hey, Doc, I got another question for you. I'm a lot different than Linda. I live in Los Angeles, and I'm a big sports fan, so you know I'm going to go here between UNC and Duke. Um, <laughs> well, you know, and I'm a big fan of Phil Jackson, and Phil Jackson a lot of times talks about mindfulness and his coaching, and, you know, whether you like him or don't like him, you know, I think some of the, the thought processes that he taught his athletes, and for myself, I was a swimmer, and uh, went to Northwestern and swam my whole life, so I'm finding it interesting about mindfulness in sports, and I'm curious, you know, Duke is such a big powerhouse, you know, you got the Blue Devils, and you've got, you know, their basketball program, and, and you know, I'm just curious, have, have they ever come to you and said, okay, we want to do some stress reduction, you know, with respect to our athletes, because, you know, stress is a good thing for an athlete if you can channel it, but if you're the night up all night, you know, fretting the night before an event, you're exhausted before you even get there, so I'm curious if right. you've done any mindful work with athletes well i can that's those excellent questions and i'm a big phil jackson fan too and um and i remember after they won i guess michael jordan won his last championship in a dramatic fashion in the interview he said something to the effect that you know phil teaches us to stay in the moment and that's where i was you know or words to that effect um in terms of the you know the Privacy uh, regulations prohibit me from actually disclosing the people who come to see <laughs> any of us. Um, but but I can tell you in, in general terms that I think the uh, I, I've known some athletes and I've uh, known people who've worked with them very directly, and uh, we've had people in our classes who did all sorts of things, you know, for fun or amateur or health or whatever. And the cultivation of awareness in the present moment, you know, the cultivation of your natural ability to be mindful um, and to be mindful, particularly of the body, is extremely uh, important. Um, I know a good friend of mine from college, uh, Dr. William Pierce, uh, uh, has he's written books about marathon running. And at the reunion, we and I were talking, and, and he was talking about how important it is for, uh, you know, in his view, uh, in the running of marathons, and he's run like 50 of them or something, uh, you know, to be aware of his body and whether, you know, what he's noticed and all, really step by step. And, and I, I said, well, that really sounds like you're being quite mindful, you know. Um, and, and it really was, I think, even though he wouldn't describe himself as a mindfulness meditator, you know, but he's very mindful, very present, very aware in those marathons. Um, I had a fellow in one of my classes who ran for stress reduction. And he came to us um, really because he had some injuries and he couldn't run and he was getting really stressed out. Um, well, after after a few weeks of training in body awareness, mindfulness of the body, mindful walking, breathing, that sort of thing, developing those uh, methods, he came in and said, you know, he was he did go back to running and he noticed he had pain in his leg. And he said, ordinarily hey, he would. I got to cut you off right oh, now. Okay. We're going to go commercial break and it's a great way if people want to find out what you did to help this guy with the pain in his leg you're going to have to tune in after the break we are visiting with dr jeffrey brantley he's from two great powerhouses duke department of psychiatry and he went to unc chapel hill so he's already my friend uh my name is sandra beck i'm here with linda franklin and this is powered up talk radio we come back from the break we're going to find out about this guy's leg and we're going to talk about anger because dr brantley's new book coming up from new harbinger publications is calming your angry mind it'll be released in spring of 2014 he's got a lot of great books out there uh, more with dr brantley after the break
we've got lots more Powered Up with Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin after these messages. This is for all you girls about 42. Evermore, people have the means to live, but no meaning to live for. These are the words of Dr. Victor Frankel, the inspiration for the movie Victor and I. That's V I K T O R and I movie.com. And TalkSense Radio, The Meaning Connection, with host Mary Simaluka and frequent contributor Alexander Vesley. Friday afternoons at 3, 2 Central on Toginet.com. More and more people today are discarding their quest for money, possessions, and things, and are instead beginning a serious quest to find meaning in life. Until now, these discussions were historically in the hands of priests, ministers, and scribes, then to philosophers, psychiatrists, and psychologists. Now, these deep discussions are where they should be, in the hands of individuals, on the air, with you. Talk Sense Radio, The Meaning Connection, with your host, Mary Similuka, and frequent contributor, Alexander Vesley. Friday afternoons at 3, 2 Central on Toginet.com. Do holidays and celebrations get you down and leave you feeling frazzled? Then join Sandy Fowler and her guests on Heartfilled Holidays every Monday at noon, 11 a.m. Central on Toginet.com. Sandy will help you discover the secrets to having the celebrations you've always dreamed of while adding fun and meaning to your life. From Valentine's Day to Christmas to special family events, Sandy Fowler will show you how to put the fun and meaning back into those special days by taking a look at what we can do to turn the upcoming holidays into cherished memories and show us how to allow it to intertwine with everyday life. For more on the show, Sandy, and to receive Sandy's Holiday Happiness Booklet, go to HeartfilledHolidays.com. Then get set to discover the secrets to creating happy holidays and happy everydays by joining Sandy Fowler and her guests on Heartfilled Holidays every Monday at noon Eastern Standard Time on Toginet.com. We're back with Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin. Here's more Powered Up with Beck and Franklin. This is for all you girls about 42. Hey, ladies, this is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Linda Franklin. And for those of you that missed the first half of the show, we are visiting with Dr. Jeffrey Brantley. If you want to listen to over 60 hours of free, exciting, coast-to-coast New York, L.A. talk radio, you can check us out on PoweredUpTalkRadio.com. You can find us on iTunes under Powered Up Talk Radio, or you can go to our host station in Texas, Toginet, that's T-O-G-I-N-E-T.com, to find our show and many other exciting, wonderful, fantastic shows, because Linda and I are on a lot of them. I'm in such a good mood this day, Linda, and I was so stressed out trying to get on the show today between Microsoft and the computers and the tablets. So I'm so excited that we have Dr. Jeffrey Brantley here to talk me down off the wall and talk the rest of us off the wall. And before we went to break, he was telling us a story about a marathon runner uh, who couldn't run anymore and he got really stressed out. So I can't wait to find out what what the doc has to say. Go ahead, Dr. Brantley. Okay, Senator. Thanks. It's uh, I love your enthusiasm. It's just heartwarming, let me say. Um, so, yes, yeah, so it's a quick example. You know, the fellow was in our mindfulness-based stress reduction class, and he had to stop running. He ran distances, and uh, he had to stop because he had this pain in his leg and hip. And, and it turns out after a few weeks, he got feeling a little better physically, but he'd also developed his skills of 
mindful awareness of his body. So he came in and told us a story. He went out running one day, and, and he noticed the pain came back in his leg and his foot. And he said ordinarily he would have just ignored it. And, of course, ignoring it had led to the trouble that, that gave him, you know, brought him to our class in the first place. But he said because he had the confidence and the training, really, to turn mindful attention to what was happening in his body with each step, really, he could pay closer attention, and he realized that uh, he, he ran with an uh, orthotic in his shoe. And um, and he realized his shoe with the orthotic didn't feel right, so he took his shoe and the orthotic to a ex, you know somebody to fix it, and they gave him a new one, and he ran without pain the next time. You know, so that lesson about ordinarily in our life we 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 try to get away from or, or ignore the pain of our life, and our bodies usually catch up to us and tell us to do different. Um, in his case, he had the confidence and the skill to turn toward it, which is what we teach in mindfulness training: turn toward the difficult when it shows up. And uh, and he actually made an insight that helped him, you know, improve his health. You know, Doc, that's really cool, um, but I want to have you backtrack for a second, and I'm going to give you the reason why. Um, when I first got divorced, I was married for 10 years. I got two little kids, and I'm a smart girl. I went to Northwestern undergraduate, graduate school, and when I went to therapy for the first time, you know, the, the therapist said to me, San, you got to take better care of yourself, and you have to be mindful. And I will tell you, I went home, and I just about cried because, first of all, I didn't know how to take care of myself. I didn't even know what that meant. And being mindful, that's like one of those words that you hear over and over, but nobody ever takes a minute to say, well, what does that really look like or taste like or feel like? Like, be mindful. Okay, I'll be mindful, but I don't know what that is. So can you clarify for me and for everybody else listening out there that's befuddled by this term, what does that actually mean in, in real terms, in real life, like to be mindful? Thank you. Well, first of all, thank you for making that clear. You know, I, I think uh, it reminds me of back in the day when everybody thought, you know, relaxation was so important. It is. And people go to their doctor and the doctor would just say, you need to relax. But how do you do it? <laughs> if you don't relax, you're in real trouble. You need to be mindful. But if they don't tell you more about how to do that, then it's trouble. Now, the good news is nowadays we hear a lot about it. There's a lot of instruction about being mindful. In fact, there's a lot of very good websites where people give guided meditations about mindfulness. And there are a lot of books out, like, you know, the ones I've written, for example, and many others. What does that mean? Well, I like to think about mindfulness as a, uh, it's a basic human capacity we all have for noticing what's happening. We notice what's happening in the present moment. Uh, It's not thinking. Uh, you know, you notice if you notice that you're angry, or you notice your mind is ruminating about something, or you, like the guy noticed the pain in his foot when he ran. You know, the quality of us that notices or re- can reflect accurately what's here in this moment, in mind and body and context, uh, that's what we can call mindfulness or mindful awareness. Now, to be mindful, uh, you know, one definition. The, John Kabat-Zinn, the father of mindfulness-based stress reduction, says mindfulness uh, arises when we pay attention on purpose in a non-judging way to what's happening. So this quality of there's a kind of an intention, the own purpose, to pay attention, to notice what's here, and to just to notice it, uh, not to get lost in the the next piece, which is the the stories about it or the judgments, but just to notice, like the guy let himself feel his feet. 
And what we would say to people, and what I wrote about in my new book, which actually just came out very recently, I just got the copies of uh, author's copies today, as a matter of fact, for calming your angry mind. And, uh, you know, one of the things I talk a lot about in the book is um, knowing knowing yourself when you are angry, you know, which means having the courage, really, to stop and notice and feel where in your body the sensations are, to listen to the thoughts that are in the mind, um, to be mindful of... of and, so to be mindful when anger is present, because a lot of people don't actually even know when they are angry, according to some researchers I talked to. The other piece of it is to be mindful when we're not angry. You know, those times, just tune in, take a moment, feel the breath, feel the body, and, and take a moment to tune in. Well, maybe you feel happy, maybe you feel sad. Um, but this self-awareness that we can grow through paying attention on purpose in a non-judging way uh, creates this quality of being mindful. Is that? It's probably too many words about all of that. <laughs> well, uh, what I took away from it was stop thinking. You know, with for me being an egghead, that's a hard one. But stop thinking. You know, and pay attention. You know, that that's what came across loud yeah. and clear to me. Yeah. Now, what I would say about that, and that's uh, you know, we get a lot of those. Uh, well-educated people around Duke here, too, at UNC, <laughs> and good, more power to, to us all. Um, but what we say in our classes is you don't have to stop thinking. Thoughts are not the enemy. The way we work with thoughts and mindfulness practice is we either just let them be or we let them go. And put our, we put our attention on a focus that's not, it can be the thoughts, but usually we pick something like our sensations of breathing or the body moving. And when we notice there are thoughts, it's not a mistake. Uh, in fact, over time, particularly working with anger, as the uh, attentional skill of mindfulness is developed in practice, we can hear more and more clearly what our thoughts are and really begin some deeper self-understanding. But the thoughts aren't the enemy, even the angry thoughts, and the mindfulness helps us know them much more accurately. Doctor, um, you you call it mindfulness, and I've always ca called it being conscious. Mm. Uh, maybe that's a more spiritual term. I don't know, but I think it's I you know try to be conscious of what you're doing, what you're thinking, what you're feeling, mm -hmm. uh, because a lot of people are walking around and they're they're unconscious actually, and they yes. they don't know themselves at all. And, and as you as you were talking about, and that's really dangerous. Yes. Well, you know, Linda, I think um, it's kind of a matter of semantics, really. Uh, the, but as I understand it, uh, you know, you, you could talk about, you know, the consciousness of your thoughts or the consciousness of your body, and, and that would definitely be, uh, be, be being mindful of those things. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, since I think, I mean, you, you know, I can't believe somebody doesn't know when they're angry, because when I'm angry, I... <laughs> I think the steam comes out of my nose, so I really know when I'm angry, um, and I try to, you know, work it work it back to say why. But you know, it's a really funny thing because when I'm conscious of being angry or any other emotion, I've tested it on myself. I can change it on a dime with different thoughts. Yes, yes, and that's an interesting uh, discovery. It's a powerful discovery, you know. When we talk about mindfulness, we're talking about, you know, paying attention so and, and cultivating attention to look deeper, you know, so you might feel the anger, you know, you realize all of a sudden you're angry. And then, uh, you know, in the book, I talk about some different ways, which really are not ones I made up. They're based in 
modern psychology and also ancient contemplative wisdom. But, uh, but you know, the different ways to approach it, and one of the ways uh, is, of course, a psychological way, is the, what you talked about, shifting your thoughts. But what, from a mindfulness point of view, if we look more deeply, uh, the first step might often be just to know one is feeling angry and maybe to shift the attention or to step back from the situation or, or take some step like that. We can also look more deeply at the experience in the body. We can look at our underlying belief systems, paying attention on purpose with curiosity, and just listening to what comes up. So mindfulness does not necessarily carry the secret agenda of getting rid of what's happening, but it seeks to understand. And the paradox is that in that understanding, we can actually transform our life. So we're not so vulnerable to the same angry cues. Well, and Doc, I'm going to buzz in here for a second, and I'm going to say, you know, as a single mom with two little kids, and sometimes my kids come home totally tweaked from their dad's house, we don't know half the time that we're angry. I'm running 100 miles an hour. I care for my 80-year-old dad in my house. i got two kids, four dogs, a mortgage, soul supporting. I run 100 miles an hour, and I really don't, and Linda, this is the God honest truth, I really don't know sometimes I'm angry till I slam the car door or I slam the refrigerator door or a cabinet, and all of a sudden I'm like, ooh, you know, where did that yeah. come from? And yeah. What I see in my kids is that they come home and they will, like yesterday, one stuffed grass down the other one's shirt and the other one took his homework and stuffed his homework down his shirt. Each other, you know, they were arguing and they're bickering and bickering, bickering, bickering. And so I took everybody for a a run because I don't know what else to do with them. They're boys. They have a lot of energy. But as we were all running together as a family, we started talking and their their things came pouring out of what happened at their dad's house. Mm. The girlfriend hurt feelings her kids took this and broke his skateboard and you know it was all under there somewhere but you know we don't teach our kids how to get that stuff out and as a mom who's clearly not getting it out you know until the refrigerator door slams how do you teach that to a family oh you know what we're going to commercial break so i'm gonna have to interrupt you you can teach this when we get back from break my name is sandra beck and i'm here with linda franklin and this is powered up talk radio and we are talking with dr jeffrey brantley today and when we come back from the break we're going to find out you know what we can do especially in my family where everybody's walking around angry nobody knows what's going on how do we fix it how do we uncover it how do we constructively work as a family so uh that's i I think going to be really great. Dr. Jeffrey Brantley is a consulting associate in the Duke Department of Psychiatry. He's the founder and director of the Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction Program. Uh, He's written a bunch of great books, uh, Calming Your Anxious Mind, Daily Meditations for Calming Your Anxious Mind, Five Good Minutes, Five Good Minutes in the Evening, Five Good Minutes at Work. He's got a new book coming out from New Harbinger Publications, Calming Your Angry Mind. It'll be released in spring of 2014. Come back after the break. We've got lots more powered up with Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin after these messages. Are you ready to start rocking that woohoo 
that only you do? Because Lisa Stedman is on a mission. She will dare you, challenge you, enlighten you, provoke and empower you to bring out that inner woohoo. Lisa is an internationally acclaimed best-selling author. She is a breakup expert, a brand consultant, CEO of Woohoo Inc. and the Woohoo Radio Network. She will show you how to take your boohoo and turn it into woohoo. Get rebellious and get real. Get your dreams off the back burner. Get inspired and motivated to take action. Start rocking that woohoo that only you do in love, life, and business. She is going to be here for you every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time. Only here on the Woohoo Radio Network. We're back with Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin. Here's more Powered Up with Beck and Franklin. Hey, ladies, this is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Linda Franklin, and we are visiting today with Dr. Jeffrey Brantley. He's written a bunch of great books about mindfulness, now that we know what mindfulness is, Um, and he's got a new book coming out from New Harbinger Publications called Calming Your Angry Mind that's going to be released in the spring of 2014. So we are talking about anger right now, and I shared before the break uh, that my kids, who are the product of a nasty divorce, come home angry. I'm angry, and I don't figure it out till I slam the car door. I know there's a lot of people out there listening today that can relate to going 100 miles an hour and you don't slow down enough to realize what you're really feeling or your kids fight over something. But the reason for the anger, the source of the anger is much different than you would expect. So I would love to have my free therapy session with Dr. Brantley. Go ahead. <laughs> All right, Sandra. Thank you. Um, well, you know, I hope it's worth something. <laughs> Anyhow, um, you know, I think the first thing I'd say is, you know, you're not alone out there, as you know, and that all of us, we're only human. So something I say a lot to people and in the book and to myself, actually, is, you know, anger happens. Anger is going to happen to us, but how we notice it and how we respond to it is what really counts. And I must take, I take my hat off to you. I think you had good mindfulness. If mindfulness is about noticing what's happening, uh, then you noticed when the car door slammed, there was some anger, you know, and you yeah. tuned into that, and you noticed clearly what was happening with your kids, and you took a, a step that was very constructive, you know. You didn't just, like, start yelling at them. You you took them for a run, and you and you got the, you know, got the energy channeled, and then you opened up a space for them to be able to uh, pay, you know, to speak what was going on to bring attention to what was going on, and you've opened a space of listening to that. And all of that is the, um, in a way, you know, we say mindfulness is about being and not doing, like stopping, paying attention, noticing. But also that being informs doing. When we notice what's here and we keep paying attention, the choices we make, you know, are a lot more effective. And I think in your example, you you made some great choices. So I just kind of want to highlight, again, self-compassion, uh, to ourselves, uh, it doesn't matter that we might have been angry for a long time and didn't realize it. The moment we realize it, we have a choice about what we do next, and then uh, how we interact with other people. You know, you may one of the things I talk about in the book a lot is a feeling of safety, 
is to help people when they're beset with anger and all the fear and the beliefs and all the mess that goes with it. Uh, we need to find a personal, a sense of personal safety in a situation so that we can really investigate and uh, heal the pain that we're carrying. And it sounded to me like you created a wonderful sense of safety for your, your children, your sons, and uh, gave them a way to talk and a way, you know, that would help you all understand more. So in terms of going forward, I would say trust yourself. And if you practice paying attention maybe a little more often for a breath or two during the day, just tuning into your body. I mean, you're an athlete. You're used to tuning into your body anyway. And just noticing, you know, what tone of voice are your thoughts, where's tension in your body, what anger feels like, and noticing when it's not there. Uh, my, I would predict you'll pick up on it sooner, and you'll find ways to practice uh, kind of self-compassion and self-care that, that can help you not get so depleted uh, before you have a, you know, before you feel like it's overwhelming. Well, and I love that. That I mean, you made me feel a lot better. Like that, you know, what I was doing, you know, is is valuable. The one thing I would like to share with our listeners today is that, and I don't know about dealing with little girls because I don't have them, but but with little boys and me, who's kind of you know a type A, you know, hundred mile an hour girl, it's hard for me to be mindful sitting still, but I can be mindful when I run or I do yoga or even the boys I notice stock when they play their video games, we have the best conversations, you know, they're blowing up alien spacecraft and, <laughs> you know, they, they're doing something else, but they can really talk about their feelings then. And I don't know about the difference between men and women. I don't know if it's the same for grownups, but do you find that some of that for people who have a hard time sitting still to be mindful, that it's okay to be mindful while moving? Well, you know, mindfulness is, the, everything's the present moment. And, um, and so what I'd like to talk about with folks is the art of being present. How can we be present no matter what speed our body's moving or what's happening in our heads? Uh, now, having said that, the art can be that if we know that we're a person that's hard to focus attention unless the body's moving, then maybe we start with some mindful movement. You could be, and it has no speed limit. You can be running fast and be mindful, uh, or you can be walking very slow, doing like classic walking meditation. Um, one thing that happens with most people is the faster their bodies move, the faster their thoughts are moving. So it, it can be useful sometimes to deliberately really slow down and pay attention to what happens. Um, so there's a kind of an art, learning how to work with what's going on in, in your inner weather, so to speak, and whether it's speeding up or not, you know, and, and how to pay attention in a way that you're present no matter what, what speed your body's moving. It can be done, but it's good to know what your strengths are and maybe start with those. Well, and I like that because, like, when I, I still lap swim, you know, is a big part of my, my fitness regime, and it keeps my stress down. But it's funny you say that because I usually dive in the water, and it's cold, and I'm like, Aah! you know, and then I, I swim really hard, and my mind is racing, racing, racing. And then, you know, by about lap 20 or 25, I'm starting to fatigue a little bit. And you're right. I slow down. My thoughts start slowing down, and then I can have a peaceful swim, you know, once I kind of get that energy out. Yeah. So one thing you might experiment with, it's all an experiment. You won't break anything or make any mistakes, really, with mindfulness. You might experiment with walking fast or running and then slowing down your speed and, and just noticing how you, your attention, I would predict, will get stronger. And you might find that at some point after you've done that, you could actually sit still and be mindful of your thoughts or your breathing or your body for, for a few breaths anyway. You know, kind of. So that's the art of how you could work with your own 
kind of rhythms of mind and body to be present in any situation. Well, it seems to me that everybody has got their own way um, that their body reacts, that their mind reacts. I mean, I I like to sit quietly. I I find my quiet time, my space is really, really important to me, um, and not out running or or doing that. I mean, sometimes it is a, a meditation if you're out running because you just you know you just lose focus of of everything else. But I think it's really important to be able to sit in a room all by yourself and just be okay with yourself and quiet your mind that way because um, sometimes it's a lot easier to do. Yes, Lynn, I totally agree. You know, one reason I think, and I say to people, you know, uh, there's one mindfulness and there are many methods. <laughs> and uh, and so that certainly that sitting still, that sitting practice is extremely important and helpful. And it's a good way, really, to summon, uh, you know, the kind of the resistances and the and the difficulties in our, in our hearts and minds that that need attention. Um, yes. And at the same time, it some people it just comes a lot more naturally. You know, we teach uh, walking and eating and all sorts of different practices, but the core practices are also sitting and and some body work practices. And and some people love the sitting, and some people love the walking, and some people a few weeks go by and they reverse their their love. They they shift from sitting to walking and walking to sitting. So again, I think it's knowing yourself, trusting yourself, and choosing the practice form that particular time that you know really resonates with you to help you be as present and attentive as possible. Yeah, well, you know, you said the right word, choosing. Um, I think if more people were choosing to to look inside themselves and, and figure out what's going on, because what I'm seeing, whether you're out driving and you see the road rage or you listen to the news every night and see how people are out killing one another, it just seems like everybody is just hanging off the edge and just one little push is, is just taking them to a terrible, terrible place that, you know, then they lash out and, and you know, innocent people are getting mowed down. Yeah. Uh, I agree with you know. I think a lot of that is that the pain that people are carrying within they they haven't really acknowledged and they don't have an effective way to soothe that or to heal yeah. it. And that stopping to pay attention and act self compassion, self care. You know, I think Sandra mentioned that earlier about the therapist said self care. You know, these are extremely important. And that and in in the book I talked about self care, compassion, and kindness is one of the main paths to transforming your anger. But it right. starts with a willingness to let yourself feel the pain. And nobody can do it for you. You've got to have a commitment um, and a consciousness or mindfulness to say, hey, I, I don't want to live like this anymore. I, I know I can do something about it, and, you know, I'm, and I will. Absolutely right. The motivation to change has to come from within, you know. And the pain and the suffering one feels at some point can open a doorway to actually changing your life. Well, and I think this is so important, Dr. Brantley. I always like to tell, you know, big shot famous people who have great credentials and lots of books under their belt what to do because it's kind of my thing. So I'm going to tell you what I think you need to do. I think you need to write some type of manual, some type of book that educators can use in the classrooms because I'm in the classroom a lot with my kids. I'm a really involved parent and I see a lot of kids with a lot of anger from from broken homes, from stressed out parents, from financially strapped parents to, you know, these new uh, school, um, you know, at the elementary school level, they're doing these core standards nationwide. They're putting their stuff in and the teachers are frustrated. The kids are mad. There are fights broken out in our classrooms and I live in a nice area 
area with good schools and a lot of money, and I see it you know, here and I see it at all the levels. And if you can help parents or educators start teaching these kids some of these mindful practices in kindergarten or first grade and second grade, I think you have the power to change the world. That's just me. Well, you're right on, Sandra. Let me just say, actually, there are people doing that already. Uh, Mindfulness in education, if you look into that, uh, you'll see there's a, a lot going on. And right there in Los Angeles at UCLA, they have a a center for mindfulness, and I think the woman's name is Trudy Goodman, uh, and they do a lot with mindfulness for kids. Uh, but it, it's happening in a big time way for all those reasons you mentioned, and people and educators, particularly, are tuning into it. And the results are really heartwarming that I've heard about. I would think so, you know, because I look at how great my kids have have been as a result of radio shows with experts like you that give us tips and tricks and things. Because you know, this I was I was raised in in you know rural New York State, and they just didn't teach us any of this stuff. And and the kids need it today, and the adults need it today. Yep, you're absolutely right. Uh, but let me I encourage you just check out mindfulness and kids, mindfulness and education, and that UCLA Center for Mindfulness. And I think you'll start to get some leads about, you know, some of the cool things that are going on with kids and education and mindfulness. Yeah, I will. I'll bring it, you know, and I've, I've got a big mouth. I'll go right to the school and say, okay, here's what we're doing. <laughs> That'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we got about a minute left, Doc. I want to give you uh, a chance to uh, give us one good piece of advice. What's your takeaway for today in 30 seconds or less? I think the takeaway is that people trust themselves and, and befriend yourself. You, you've got what it takes to be mindful. You've already been mindful. You have a good heart as a human being. And uh, and to really trust that what when you notice there's some anger, you notice there's something, to it, that you're worthy of attention yourself to take care of that in, in a way that's wise. Dr. Brantley, thank you so much for being here. You guys go ahead and Google him. Find him on Amazon. His books are on New Harbinger Publications. Next week, we're going to meet with Sarah James, and she owns a company called Healthy Biz Travel. So if you are out there traveling and we're getting into summer and vacation seasoning, so we are going to have, um, we're going to have some information for not only business travelers, but family travelers and how to stay healthy, happy, not kill your kids on the road. It's always a good thing. See you next week. We're so glad you joined us for Powered Up with Beck and Franklin. Sandra Beck, Los Angeles-based single mother and technology company owner, knows what it's like to be fit, funny, and fantastic in your 40s. Linda Franklin, a New Yorker with a successful marriage